The following podcast is a Jen Patrice production. Hey friends, I'm Jen, host of Company You Keep, where personal storytelling meets personal development. I'm also a cancer survivor and mental health advocate passionate about building a community where it's safe to have meaningful conversations about the hard stuff. Today's guest is my friend Ashley, who was diagnosed with a desmoid tumor, which is a type of sarcoma, within a few months of my own diagnosis. Ashley was my first cancer friend, and the way she shares her cancer journey so vulnerably and authentically has really helped me in healing from my own emotional trauma. I'm so excited for you to hear her story. So here is my conversation with Ashley. Ashley, thank you so much for being on. I am so excited to have you as a guest. You've been super open about your cancer journey, and you were actually one of the first in the cancer community that I started following. And so there's been a lot of healing, and you really helped me through um, everything that I've gone through the last, oh my gosh, almost seven years now, seven years in January. So I'm just really excited for you to be able to share your story with others and really help other people. Thank you. I'm excited to be here too. I can't wait. So I always like to start the show with um, sort of an introduction because we are a lot more than our cancer and our chronic illness. So first, tell us a little bit more about you as a person. Who is Ashley? Outside of my cancer. Yes. Who is Ashley? So I grew up in South Florida. I'm definitely a Florida baby. I like the sun. I like the water. Um, I have worked for the past, I don't know, maybe like 12 years as a social worker. And so much of my career has been working with kids who are in foster care. More recently, I've been working with individuals who are traveling to Africa to help perform surgeries for those who have a tumor like I have. Um, And have always just really had a heart for people who've experienced some sort of trauma. And so that's kind of been a theme throughout all of my work over the past couple of years. And started even before I experienced my own trauma and, um, you know, has persisted after that. Now I work a lot with people in the cancer and chronic illness community from a mental health perspective. So that has become a lot of my work, even though it's still related to my diagnosis. It's a lot of what I do on a regular basis. Yeah, it's really interesting that there ended up being a lot of overlap, but even with having that background in trauma and mental health and social work, nothing can really prepare you for experiencing it yourself. Jen, I was like the most presumptuous person ever because my initial thought was I am like built for this, you know, like I know trauma, I can get through this. I'm built for this. And that perspective just really knocked me over. I definitely wasn't built for this. I don't think anyone's built for trauma. You can't really be prepared for what you're walking into whenever you receive news of something like a diagnosis or some other traumatic event. So yeah, it's definitely not, <laughs> nobody's built for it, I think. Well, and anytime it's, <clears throat> excuse me, anytime it's personal, it's hard to see things from the other perspective. And so I think even um, when it doesn't come to cancer and illness, just when people are really hard on themselves, it's like, would you ever say that to a friend? Because no matter what our background and stuff is, it's really hard to get past your own personal inside stuff. Even if you know the right thing to say, or you're trained, it's why therapists oftentimes go see their own therapists 
they're trained and everything, but they still need that outside perspective for their own stuff. Definitely. I mean, I work as a mental health therapist now and um, I meet with my own therapist for that same reason, because for the first couple of years, like I said, I thought I've got this and I don't necessarily need the help. I know everything that I need to do, but um, that definitely wasn't the case because you're right. All of your own stuff comes up and you're in shock whenever you're going through these things. And so nothing really prepares you for being able to learn how to operate when you're in shock. So, (laughs) well, and I think one thing also that people that aren't in the cancer chronic illness community will relate to both you and I have pretty openly spoken up about is imposter syndrome. And you and I have felt it a little bit. We don't, it's not a perception that we get from other people in the cancer community, but you and I sometimes have felt like we have to justify why we belong there or prove that we belong there. I think that's a good lead into your story because the type of cancer that you have or um, your story really leads into what made you feel like an imposter and then share how you helped overcome that. Yeah. I mean, I uh, was diagnosed about six and a half years ago now. So six and a half years ago in 2015, I was in a car accident and that car accident was really bad. I hit my knees against the dashboard whenever it happened. And um, I thought that I was fine for a little bit after that. I was on crutches for about three weeks, but I felt a lot of pressure in my leg. I keep telling people that my left leg, I felt like somebody was cranking my like heel cord, my Achilles tendon tighter and tighter. And it got to the point in about um, October of that year when I couldn't walk. I woke up one morning and I just couldn't put my heel on the floor. So I went to a series of doctors and it took a long time to diagnose, but um, I ended up being diagnosed with a, with aggressive fibromatosis, which is a type of desmoid tumor, which is a type of sarcoma. This sarcoma is aggressively growing scar tissue. And so it is, seems to be related to the car accident, even though there's no known cause for my diagnosis. So they can't necessarily make that correlation. So after that, I was quickly rushed to getting a port put in place. I started chemotherapy in less than a month after my diagnosis, and I had to do 24 weekly rounds of IV chemo. And my story is a long one, but I'll make it a little bit shorter in the sense of like, this is a chronic um, condition for me. This isn't considered to be an incurable form of cancer. And so, um, I've gone through multiple rounds of chemo. And most recently I just had a procedure called cryoablation where they stuck needles into my tumor and tried to freeze it. And so, um, I'm three treatments in, but it's a tumor that can't be removed because it's just mixed in with all my blood vessels and nerves and all of that. But where imposter syndrome can really come into play is there are multiple entities that do not recognize my type of tumor as cancer. And so some entities do recognize it as cancer, others do not. And so it can be a challenge sometimes fitting into the quote unquote cancer community whenever I have doctors who are adamantly telling me that I don't have cancer. On the other end, I have other doctors who are adamantly telling me your tumor is aggressive. If you don't treat it, it will harm you. If you don't treat it, you'll have lifelong repercussions. For me, fortunately, I have it located in my left leg behind my knee. And so 
the most drastic thing that would happen would be amputation. And that's something that I've um, had consultations about and I've talked about and I feel fortunate and imposter syndrome kind of seeps in in that realm too, because if it was in a different part of my body, it would be, I wouldn't have that option. And so I feel like I have it pretty lucky and it is crazy probably for some people to hear me say, I feel like I have it lucky because amputation's an option, but other people don't have that type of option. And so imposter syndrome is a big thing for me. I feel often like I don't belong or I don't fit into the larger cancer community, even though I've gone through two rounds of chemo and I've had procedures and um, I'm looking at more chemo in my future, you know, that this is something that I have to manage versus something that I can eliminate. But even still, the fact that the classification is different makes me feel like an imposter, like I'm a fraud, mm-hmm. like sometimes I'm pretending to be a part of a larger community that I don't actually belong in, even though all the technicalities might say that I belong, you know, so it's definitely a big piece that messes with your, with your mind throughout the process. I think another thing that you said, like you mentioned the word lucky, and I think that really messes with your head too, because I feel a lot that same way with myself, even though we continue finding cancer and I've just, you know, had my third one, we're finding it early. So I still feel lucky. And I feel sometimes like there's a link between my imposter syndrome and my survivor's guilt because I'm lucky and we caught it early. And then I start to feel like an imposter because of the guilt that I feel, well, I didn't have chemo or maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not losing my hair or I'm not having to lose a breast or I'm not having to, you know, like it's a possibility in the future. To me, I feel good. Like, oh my gosh, I would never have to, well, I guess I don't know at this point, but I've never had to consider amputation where you feel lucky because amputation is an option. So do you feel like you've noticed a correlation between survivor's guilt and imposter syndrome? A hundred percent. And I think that survivor's guilt is a really tricky thing to talk about too, because in the larger community, I think so many people relate survivor's guilt specifically to that experience of like out surviving someone who has something similar than you do. But in the cancer chronic illness community, survivor's guilt seeps in in so many different ways. And so just like you're talking about, like survivor's guilt for us can be potentially looking at somebody else who has worse side effects from treatment. You know, I've been on chemo twice and I didn't lose all of my hair either time. I was considered to have a low dose chemo and my hair thinned to where I lost like 70% of it and I had bald spots, but I never really lost it. And so when I'm talking to somebody who's had a type of chemo where they've lost all of their hair or where they've had to be hospitalized or they've had some sort of really invasive surgery or radiation or some type of treatment that I've never had, I look at that too. And I'm like, okay, they've had it worse than me. And survivor's guilt typically comes from comparing ourselves to somebody else's experience and then judging ourselves based off of that experience. And so making this judgment that I shouldn't be feeling this way, I shouldn't be in pain, I shouldn't be complaining, I shouldn't be um, acknowledging how hard this is and how difficult this is because that's me victimizing myself and look at all of these other people who have it so much harder. But that's something I think people in our community really have to fight against because it's isolating 
And mm-hmm. one of the things that has been so helpful in being able to really overcome and feel a part of something bigger is the community, the cancer and chronic illness community. That's so important, I think, for just physical, but also mental and emotional healing. Um, so fighting against that survivor's guilt that comes up, I think is really significant in validating our own experiences because what, whatever we have, cancer diagnosis, chronic illness diagnosis, rare disease diagnosis, like whatever we have, it's all hard. It Mm -hmm. all sucks. (laughs) Um, And so being able to acknowledge that without comparing ourselves and judging ourselves to other people, I think is a really significant piece of the process, but it's hard. I mean, it seeps in all the time. I do that all the time of looking at other people's experiences and being like, wow, I have it. I have it better. I shouldn't be feeling so bad, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's also helpful to share it. So people maybe on the outside of the cancer community and chronic illness community. So in some ways, I think the cancer and chronic illness community are almost more welcoming and understanding of that. We're harder on ourselves, but we're so welcomed. I had a stage four survivor say that my story is inspiring being stage one because it helps her to see that sharing the message and getting the awareness out there is helping people catch it earlier. And there is hope that maybe the numbers will go down and stuff like that. But I don't, I think sometimes um, like society as a whole sees somebody that's really struggling. They see the stage three and four and you can see the side effects, whatever they are. And you can, you see the illness and that's where invisible illnesses get really difficult. But I think it's important that they understand the trauma is trauma. And I know someone told you one time they had watched the Netflix series, Zach and Mia, and were like, oh, you got the good kind of cancer, or this reminded me of you. And there is no good kind. And no matter what stage you get it, it's hard, it's traumatic, and nothing can prepare you for hearing you have cancer. Yeah, I that did happen because that uh, TV show is about a girl with a sarcoma and she ended up having um, her leg amputated. And from the outside, you know, at that point, I hadn't necessarily shared that a part of my journey was conversations about amputation, but from the outside, it definitely looked like, oh, look, your, your situation is not that bad. I've had people tell me I've had the good kind of chemo because I didn't lose my hair completely, or I was still able to work and um, do certain things while I was going through chemo. And it does, it messes with you at first, I think. But, you know, I had to come to a place of understanding that cancer and chronic illness, sometimes it's uncomfortable for other people. And that's not to say that those comments are necessarily right, but I think people often don't know what to say. And survivor's guilt and imposter syndrome I found is also closely related to this term that we use in the cancer community called toxic positivity. And toxic positivity is just that of saying things like, let me try to minimize your condition or your experience. Let me tell you it's not that bad. Oh, at least you have the good kind of cancer. At least you're on the good kind of chemo with the intention. Most of the time people are well-intentioned and they're trying to help you feel like your situation is not that bad rather than acknowledging how hard it is. But sometimes people are coming from an outside perspective of 
wanting to make your situation more comfortable, not only for them, but also for you, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. anytime we're confronted with those messages, like that toxic positivity or people trying to minimize your experience, it's important to not take it personally because I don't think it's often intended to be personal, but then to educate people. And I think that's what you're doing. That's what a lot of people in the cancer community are doing of educating people on, you know what, it's, it's hurtful to compare cancers with each other because all of it is trauma. And like you said, trauma is trauma. We're all affected in a way um, that is significant. We're all affected in a way that's going to impact our lives lifelong, even if our cancer is something that is caught early, treated, and never returns. It's still a lifelong impact for us. And so being able to educate people just on the mental health side of it, I think is really significant in being able to receive the support that's needed during that time. And I think that's one thing that's so important about finding that community um, because people do oftentimes have those best of intentions. And I think the community is really good at educating them. But a lot of times we still feel isolated because it's so hard to find people that understand what it's like. And even with different types of cancers. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. Have you had a chance to check out the Mind Over Melanoma collection from Humble Beast Lifestyle yet? Humble Beast Lifestyle is a lifestyle brand that was inspired by two men who want to see the world in a better state of mind. I was so fortunate to collaborate with them on a collection that was designed to bring awareness to both melanoma and mental health. Proceeds from the collection are donated to the Loveland Foundation and Impact Melanoma. You can shop the entire collection at HumbleBeastLifestyle.com. Don't forget to live well, lift others, and stay humble. Now back to my conversation with Ashley. So you and I were diagnosed, I think, within a few months of each other, actually. Um, But you were one of the first people that I started following, and that was really huge just in my own. It helped me feel not so alone, even though our cancers could not be more different. Um, And a lot of people that I've become really close to, um, I know you're really close to Mindy, like Miss Mindy Miller on Instagram also, and she has breast cancer. So again, totally different than um, what either you and I are experiencing, but so many of the things that we feel tend to overlap. And I know you've also been close to, um, Katie from My Melanoma World, or you guys had connected, and you were one of the first people that had let me know about her account so I could find somebody else that had melanoma, and then even with her and I, very different stages, so very different experiences, but a lot of the feelings tend to overlap, so the community is just so important in helping you feel seen and understood, and you were a huge part of that for me, but what first led you to like I said, I think you actually were diagnosed a few months after me, but you started sharing way before I did. And I was like, nobody needs to hear my story. I had cancer, went in and had surgery and now it's gone and I'm supposed to move on with my life. Right. Um, and that's not really what happens. What first led you to getting involved and how did you find that voice and find that was something you needed to share? Yeah, I um Thank you for sharing that with me first, because it is such a vulnerable thing to share your story with other people. And so just to hear that other people are impacted in any type of way is like relieving in a sense, but also like so encouraging for me too, because the community has been 
such a necessary part, especially this past round of treatment for me, because when I was first diagnosed, I was in such shock and I was so overwhelmed that I literally couldn't even look things up online about my um, diagnosis. My parents would do that for me and tell me information. I just couldn't, I couldn't expose myself to it. When I was told that I had to go back to chemo for the second time, that's when I really was like, okay, this is a thing. Like, this is going to be my life. This isn't just an incident. And so let me learn some more, try to get in touch with people who understand it because I'm the only young adult in my community in South Florida. I've never met another young adult with any type of cancer diagnosis before. And so let me see if I can connect with anybody else who might get it. And honestly, I looked on Instagram and I found in my first like search, I found two different types of accounts. It was either like, everything sucks. Like you're never going to get over this. Like just give up now type content or people who are wearing like glittery tutus and telling you like, it's not that bad. Like you'll be fine. And I really struggled to relate to either of those because I felt like, okay, there's actually a middle ground here. So that's really what led me to start my Instagram account and start sharing my story. And I, my, in my handle, it even has like the word diaries because my approach initially was you know, during my first round of treatment, I didn't document anything. I have one picture of my entire first round of chemo because I just didn't want that experience to take hold in my life. I didn't want to do it. I wanted it to be over. So I didn't document any of it. I didn't journal any of my experiences. And I really regretted that in my second round because I had nothing to look back to of like, what was I feeling or what was I thinking during that time? And so I started my Instagram account from this perspective of like, this is going to be for me. I want to document my experience, my personal diary, my personal journal of what am I going through? What are my thoughts and feelings? What am I experiencing? And what is, what's like the day to day was the original intent of it. And I think over time, it's really just morphed into like, what are my real like thoughts about what it is to live with a chronic cancer diagnosis? And some days it's really hard and it really sucks. And I feel really hopeless. And other days I feel like I can do this and I can overcome this and anything is possible and support systems are amazing and like all of these different things. And so oftentimes your experience feels maybe like a ping pong ball, like you're going back and forth all the time between those two worlds, but it's just so like authentic to our experience, I think. Yeah, there's so many highs and lows. And I think your um, Instagram account and really, like you said, your diary um, does a really good job of sharing that. I keep thinking back, um, there was a video and it was when you were starting the chemo pills and you were like, okay, I'm going to share my story. And this is probably one of the first videos that you ever did. And you're like, kind of talking, trying to talk yourself up or like, I can do this. And then you went to take the pill and you just kind of like broke down in tears and you're like, I don't want to do this. And I think we, <laughs> I'm going to cry talking about it. Um, <laughs> um, but it, I mean, even though I never had to go through chemo, I feel like I sort of went through that with my own first like surgery you know, there were so many people around, like so supportive and like, you can do this and we're going to be here. And 
I was like, I've got this, no problem. And I'm literally laying on the hospital bed ready to be rolled into the ER. And I'm like, can we go home now? Like, I don't actually want to do this. And people are like, you're so strong. It's like, you don't have a choice. Like it's do the treatment or give up and like giving up just, I mean, it's not really an option. Like You're just going to say, nope, (laughs) but yeah, it's so hard. And I think this conversation that we're both like crying over it is it shows like you just never really know when like the triggers and stuff are going to pop up too. And hopefully this will be a little bit more positive thing, but you were talking about at the beginning when you first were like, something is not right. Something is not right. It feels like there's a pulling in my leg. And um, what I was actually picturing while you were sharing that is the video of you walking yesterday because there's so many highs and lows and ups and downs. And that was the first of you, like, I can't walk. And you've gone through that a few times now, but yes, I mean, about a week ago, you walked three miles. I think you guys estimated. And yesterday you were walking without your boot. You had a normal shoe on, which is such a, and I think those things need to be celebrated too, um, because they're so much hard um, and so many highs and lows. And that's such a huge accomplishment and accomplishment. And we were talking about that a little bit before, Can you share how you and Angelo or like what you guys are going to (laughs) celebrate just later this week? It's so cute. Going back um, to what you were saying before, just of like why we're crying right now too, and recalling the video of, you know, having to take my chemo and like building ourselves up for whether it's chemo or a procedure or something that we're doing and really having the sentiment of like, I don't want to do this. Um, I think that's part that speaks to the part of why this experience is so traumatic. You know, you, there's no choice necessarily. And the cho- there is a choice. You could look at the choice of like, I either do this or I don't, I give up. Um, but if you're going to do this, there's no choice in the matter. Like you just have to get through it. There's no way out, but through quote unquote, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the hardest parts is that, that moment of like, recognition and realization of like there is no way out but walking through this and taking it head on and I think anybody who's walked through this experience can relate to that moment of whenever that realization hits and how hard that is to get to that place of like you know what I have like I have to do this I have to take this chemo I have to do this procedure I have to do this and get through it but it's not something that you want to do and I I relate to you whenever you say things like um, people tell you you're so strong or you're so brave, but it's like, I have no other choice. And I think that we say that to almost like invalidate, like, you know what, if I didn't have to do this, I wouldn't be doing it. But I think just speaking to that moment of that recognition of, I have to do this, you know, I have to take, I have to take this pill. I have to take this infusion. I think that speaks to so much strength, honestly. And it's taken me a while to get to a point of accepting those those comments when people call you strong or brave. And I know a lot of people don't love those comments just because of that piece of like, well, I didn't, I wouldn't do it on my own. Um, but I think to walk through this experience and to have that moment speaks to the strength and the resilience of everybody who has to walk through this process, you know? And to your next question, I found out earlier this year, I found out in, um, it's 2021. So I found out in April, 2021, that I, uh, my tumor was growing again and that I'd have to have another procedure. And 
I was originally advised to take chemo, but I've done chemo twice and I wanted to try something that was local to the tumor and that wasn't like pumping through my whole body. And so I elected to do this cryoablation procedure in July. And it's, you know, sticking needles in the tumor and shooting ice cubes into it to try to freeze it from the inside out. And I was prepared, you know, this is, they're going to be really conservative. And so the plan was get this procedure done three to four weeks, you'll be recovered. And then we'll see how it goes. And that just wasn't the case, you know, in the hospital, I was intubated. I had the intubation tube taped to my face and I had like a major allergic reaction where my face just blew up really, really big after the procedure. And they believe that that caused some immune reactions throughout my body that also led to two months of my left foot being in the most amount of pain that I've ever experienced in my entire life. And it was unavoidable. I just couldn't get away from it. And so I went through this period of feeling like, okay, this is my life now. Like that decision coming again of, do I give up or do I keep pushing forward? And it's the first time too, that I was really like, I'm gonna give up. Like I am tired of all of this treatment. I'm tired of all of these doctors. Now I'm in pain. Like, what did I do? And the, the recovery has been really hard. I haven't been walking since July. It's been about six months. I was on crutches for, I would say four and a half months of that time, just in a lot of pain. I have multiple doctors and physical therapists tell me to prepare myself to never walk again. And finally, just after shopping really for physical therapists, I was just going from person to person, trying to find someone who would please like take me on, please help me. Like walking is significant for me. I'm an active person. I like to be outside. I like to be moving around. I can't imagine life just being immobile. And so finally found a physical therapist who believed in me and really pushed me and gave me the tools that I needed. And it's been about three months of two months, I'd say of physical therapy. And I graduated to a boot. I was walking around in a boot for a little while, went on vacation and was walked like three miles. It was probably too much. I was really tired by the end of it. I had blisters on the bottom of my feet, which I didn't even know was a thing until recently. But yesterday for the first time went out and was able to walk without crutches, without a boot, without anything assistive. And I'm going to cry because it's, I didn't, I was told I wouldn't get here. And so, um, yeah, it speaks to the importance of surrounding yourself with people who believe in you because things are possible whenever you have people who support and believe in the things that you can do. And I'm so excited because tomorrow we're going to celebrate me and my boyfriend, Angela, we're going to go grocery shopping And I have been waiting to go grocery shopping since July. I haven't been able to like walk up and down aisles. I've been ordering food online and having it delivered. And I am going to celebrate by just going to the grocery store, walking up and down aisles, pushing my own grocery cart, not having crutches and just, I don't know, cook dinner or something with the things that I buy. But I have been looking forward. That's kind of been my mental marker of I'll feel like I'm recovered once I'm able to grocery shop for myself. And I still have a long way to go. I um, walk on my tiptoe on my left foot. And so there's still a lot of progress to be made to get me walking normally and in a way that won't 
like screw up my back or hurt me in other ways, but to actually just be weight bearing and walking and be able to do things. It's like a big, big accomplishment. And it's so important to celebrate those wins. And you and I were talking a little bit ago about just even the things that you never think that you'll celebrate until you go through some of this stuff, um, like to be faced with not walking, or we were talking about how, um, after procedures, you and I both had a time where like, we couldn't really use our one arm. And so we were trying to wash our hair and how do you get the shampoo out of the bottle and into your hand and wash your hair with one arm and stuff. Or like after my last surgery, no woman has ever been excited to put a bra on in her life, except maybe her first one. Um, and feeling like, yay, I'm growing into a woman. Um, but for two months I couldn't wear a bra. And I was like, actually really excited to just feel like I was doing something normal again. And you experienced something similar, um, to with your port, you couldn't wear a sports bra for really long. And I think those things, they feel extra special when you can share them with the community every time, you post a video walking, like I'm at home, like cheering and doing a happy dance. And I always send you like the little celebration emojis and stuff. But even when we are going through, like, even if we're going through like the crappiest parts of like our own journeys, um, I think sometimes people are afraid to celebrate the things, especially publicly, um, because we're so aware that there's so many other people that are going through like the worst of theirs. Um, but sometimes it's actually really inspiring to see those and it helps. And that's what you want to get to. And it gives you hope. That's such a good point because I can remember being in my um, IV chemo. I had 24 treatments that was once a week for six months. And I remember thinking like, this is never, ever going to end. Like this is never going to end. This is, this is my life now. And seeing videos of people like ringing the bell or being done or being recovered, like that gave me something to look forward to of like, okay, like I can do this with my um, oral chemo, same thing, you know, this ends, there is an end point to at least the season that I'm in now. And I think it's so important to celebrate even the smallest things. Like when I had my port taken out the entire time I had a port on, I refused to be a passenger in a car because the seatbelt would land right over my port. And I remember whenever I got it taken out, I was like, let's go for a drive and I can get a passenger, (laughs) you know, like, let me just sit there and like watch somebody else drive for a little bit. And having those little wins, they might seem like so insignificant in the scheme of things or not that big of a deal, but to celebrate the things that we can, I think are a really important part of like keeping our morale and our faith and our hope, like in the process as we continue to trudge through it. And recognizing our own strength, really, um, as we're going through it, too, because sometimes we're like, I didn't choose to be strong, or I didn't choose to be brave, but um, it really does make us stronger. And there's a phrase that you've used a couple times, and I probably notice it because I felt it so many times, too, but like, this is my life now, or is this really my life now? And we know that there's a point when we're going to get through whatever stage that we're in, we keep pushing towards the after. And I think when you're first diagnosed, you're just trying to get to the other side. So things can go back to normal. There isn't the old normal on the other side. It's that new normal. And this is something that you and I have talked about in the past too, but when you're going through treatment, so much of the treatment is on the physical and there's very little to prepare you for 
the after, whether it's like the triggers that you're going to have after, um, like if you feel sick, it's like, it reminds you of chemo or, um, like every time I go in for a skin check, I'm absolutely terrified. Like I have more anxiety going in for a skin check than I do getting my results actually, because every skin check kind of reminds me of like that first time that I went in and the doctor, um, put his hand on my shoulder and was like, thank you for coming in and showing this to me. And I knew it was bad. I mean, looking back, I pretty much knew then that it was probably not going to be the outcome I wanted, but you still can't prepare yourself. So how, how did it and how does it still impact your mental and emotional health? I mean, I, I think we've seen a lot of it just in this conversation and touched on it. Uh, That's a really loaded question for me, I think, because it's where I've directed like much of my focus for my professional career too. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Florida and the mental and emotional impact of a diagnosis and treatment was so significant for me. And I feel like, especially in the AYA, the adolescent and young adult community, but even in um, the community of older adults, it's just something that's not discussed. And it doesn't make sense to me why it's not discussed very often because it's such a heavy part of the recovery process. And the mental and emotional, I guess, turmoil comes whenever, typically comes whenever everything's over and everybody else is like, okay, you made it through, you're done. Like it's over now, we can all move on. And that feeling of, okay, but wait, it's all hitting me now. Like everything that I just went to through because before I was in survival mode, like I had to have the perspective of like, just keep your eye on the prize, look towards the end, just like grit your teeth and get through it. And now that I have the opportunity to decompress, it's like, what did I just go through? Like what just happened? And there's so much that can come into our minds in regards to like feeling like our bodies have betrayed us or feeling those triggers come up. Like for me, anytime I smell hand sanitizer, I like can immediately start just tearing up and crying because hand sanitizer smells the way that heparin port cleaner tastes whenever they like try to clean out your port after chemo. And especially with COVID hand sanitizer has been everywhere, everywhere, like triggered all the time because I just smell that smell and it brings me back to so many places. And I think for me, one of the most important pieces and really being able to cope from a mental um, health perspective is it sounds really trite and it sounds really silly and juvenile, but that piece of like being kind to yourself, because I think we so often can get wrapped up in just beating ourselves up for the way that we react or like, why did I respond that way? Or why I, I mean, I just had to apologize to my family the other day because I yelled at them on the phone not because of anything that my family did but because insurance didn't approve an MRI and I was like so mad that I just took it out like my frustration and my anger on my phone call with my mom who's just trying to help me on the phone you know but it just comes out and sometimes like those types of things we can just beat ourselves up for why am I reacting this way why do I treat people this way why am I handling things this way And I think it's most important, and especially from a mental health and trauma perspective, it actually aids in the recovery from trauma that we experience to treat ourselves kindly, 
Because if we treat ourselves harshly and we judge ourselves harshly for the way that we're responding or the way that we're reacting or the way that we're quote, doing cancer, unquote, um, that tends to interfere with our progress and our recovery. And so it sounds really easy, but it's really, really challenging and really difficult to get to that place of like validating our own experience, that it's hard and that it sucks and that you've been through a lot and being kind to yourself for the way that you've handled it. Because in our hard experiences, we tend to go straight towards what could I have done better? Could I have (laughs) made it seem like less of a big deal? Could I have been less dramatic about it or all of these different things? And so really taking the self-judgment out of it is a daily battle, but a very important one, I think. I want to take one last quick break to talk about another project that I have been so lucky to be a part of. Low Ultraviolet is a brand that is outshining skin cancer through building community and providing fashionable and affordable UPF 50 plus sun protective clothing. You can see all of their amazing styles at lowultraviolet.com. And don't forget to use Gen15, that's code J-E-N-N 15, to save an additional 15% at checkout. Head over right now while they still have their end of year sale going on so you can save on all of their original styles before they drop new ones in their spring collection. Now back to the final part of my conversation with Ashley. I think being active in the cancer community has helped me with that piece too because sometimes if I am kind of beating myself up over something and I'll just share about it um, because sometimes it's just getting it out there but then other people will say you know, they give you the words that you just can't quite get yourself to hear from yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also they're like, oh my gosh, I, like, thank you for sharing. I felt this too, or stuff like that. And again, like we're not alone. And sometimes just hearing that other people have felt those same things or reacted to it, it makes it easier to be gentler with ourselves because we shouldn't need affirmation and acceptance from others, but it still does help. Yeah, definitely does help. And I think that's the power of community. I mean, in reality, as humans, we're like built for connection and community. It's important, especially with the cancer community. One of the things that I really appreciate is this understanding of like, you can dip in it and you can dip out of it. And so if you need the support and the help, please, we're here to support and help each other. But if you need a break too, like that's also okay. And that's understood because sometimes you need a little bit of a break from this experience um, and to step out of it for a little bit. That's one of the things that I value and appreciate the most because the community, as I'm speaking specifically to the community that's on Instagram, because that's been the community that's been so important for me. Um, It has been there whenever I needed it and even been there whenever I feel like I need to take a step away. I need to not live cancer life for a minute, you know, and it's, and the community itself has been really supportive of that too. And I appreciate that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're always welcomed back, but then a lot of times people might notice and they're like, Hey, just checking in or thinking of you or whatever, which means so much because even when we need that step back, it's, it's just really nice to know that they notice and they're thinking of you and your presence matters enough that they recognize when it's not there. Yeah. It's such an important part 
especially in trauma recovery, to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel understood. And so seeking out those people who see you, hear you, understand you, have some sort of context for what you're going through is really significant. And I, I hesitate to say this, but I just think it's true that people who haven't been through this, um, been through diagnosis and treatment or chronic illness on their own, have a difficult time understanding what exactly it's like. And that's okay. The people in my life who haven't experienced it, I really hope that they never do. And I don't expect them to understand the depths of what I'm feeling associated with something that I've experienced that they haven't. But that being said, I think it is important to then find those people who do understand because to Mm -hmm. be understood, to be heard, to be seen is a necessary part of being able to recover from trauma. What do you wish that people outside of the cancer community did know or understand? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Two things I would say. I would say I appreciate any gesture but tangible gestures are deeply felt and appreciated. And what I mean by that is I know most people don't really know what to do or how to help. And sometimes, especially in early stages of diagnosis, we don't know what we need too. And people who make comments like, just let me know what you need and I'll be there. That's really challenging because most of us probably won't let you know what we need, Mm -hmm. but those people who give very tangible support, like, Hey, I'm going to make you a meal. What do you want? Or, Hey, I'm going to Uber eats you something, or they have something specific, like a specific need that they're meeting. Um, I think that that speaks volumes and that goes miles that people don't really understand. I've been so appreciative of even just cards, like some sort of tangible gesture of support and recognition, I think is really helpful. Um, Partially because like we were talking earlier, I think sometimes a diagnosis can make people really uncomfortable. And so oftentimes, and things that I've actually heard in the past are like, well, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to remind you of it. And it's like, you're not, you're, it's on my mind all the time. So like, you not talking about it isn't going to like keep it from my mind. And so don't worry about not wanting to remind me of it. Like an acknowledgement of what I'm going through is a really significant piece Mm -hmm. and really shows um, a lot of support. And then the second one um, is in kind of fits into that is people who are going through um, treatment or Um, who have a diagnosis or who are chronically ill, I would say often, and this is kind of a blanket statement, so it's not for everybody, but often tend to isolate themselves. I think a general feeling is this is burdensome and I don't want to be a burden to anybody. So I've also heard multiple times, like I was just leaving you alone so that you could get through what you needed to get through. And um, when you feel better, call me, you know, but that's, hard because then it's people who are not necessarily there during such a difficult time who want you back whenever you're fine again. And I think if you notice someone who's retreated or who's isolating or who is spending a lot of time with them by themselves, or you're not hearing from them, reaching out in a way that's like, Hey, you don't need to do anything. You don't necessarily even need to respond. And like knowing that 
if there's not a response or there's not a gesture back, it's not personal, but even just reaching out in the times where people are really going through it and you feel like they might be isolating or might be pulling away or disconnecting themselves from people. A lot of times I've found that the motivation behind that is I don't want to burden you with my condition. And so um, to reach out and just let someone know that you're thinking of them, that you're on their mind, if they can do anything, I think those gestures are um, significant. I could start crying. And one of the ones that I'm thinking about is I um, went to high school with someone who I haven't seen in 10 years. We used to work at the same job like briefly, but I probably haven't had um, a significant interaction with her in like 10 years. And she saw something that I posted on Instagram and she is a cake designer in the area. And so she said like, I'm bringing you cake. You can't say no, like I'm bringing it to you. I know you're going through a difficult time. Like, please let me do this. And I've finally learned in this third round of treatment, like how to receive it's very difficult because I don't want to be a burden. So I sent her my address and the day that she decided to drop the cake off was actually my birthday. And she had no idea. And that this past year, I was in so much pain on my birthday and I was throwing a little bit of a tantrum. And I was like, I'm not celebrating my birthday. There's no reason to celebrate. I don't want to do anything. And that small gesture that she was adamant about fulfilling was such a significant part of my recovery process because it's someone who is seeing you even by the little that you're posting on social media and for her it just happened to be that she's a cake designer delivering me cake on my birthday and that that really is like a turnaround moment for me that I can recognize of like you know what like I feel so hopeless in my situation right now, but like there is hope and there is good and there are better days ahead and I can look towards that. And that really being like a tangible, like reminder of that. And so you never know what your little gestures will communicate to someone because that little gesture was what I needed to like turn on the light switch of hope again that I had really <laughs> turned off <laughs> and was ready to give up. Yeah, I remember that um and you sharing that and I remember the cake and just like how meaningful that was to you in that moment and both of those suggestions are so good I have definitely struggled a ton with the burden aspect myself and especially with my family and um, I'm sure I know you've shared a little bit about um, just with like, Angelo, how do you prepare somebody to be a caregiver and take that on? And I have found myself not maybe opening myself up to the possibilities of relationships and stuff, because I was like, God, how do you ever ask somebody to take this on? And do you really want to take on the three month skin checks and the biopsies? And like, so we can go to dinner Monday and then you can come home and change my bandage. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a great second date <laughs> and stuff? So like, it can be really hard and um, we do isolate. I mean, I definitely do. And I think like you said, it's a blanket statement, but I think it's really common. And then, you know, with the piece about just doing something for someone, it's appreciated when someone says, how can I help? But a lot of times we don't even know, we don't know what we need. And then we feel like we're struggling to come up with something when we're just trying to figure out how to like survive. move forward and yeah, and survive. 
And so whatever they come up with is going to be appreciated. And when I'm not in the middle of it, I've really tried to share some of those tips and like, these are things that would be so appreciated by me me in those times of need. Um, If you know anyone that does need something, because I think that's exactly it. They just don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And just doing something is, it's just letting them know that you're thinking of them and you're there. And that's, that's it. That's. Yeah. And honestly, even as someone who has gone through a cancer diagnosis in treatment, whenever I hear that somebody has been diagnosed, my initial reaction is like, I'm frozen for that person. Mm-hmm. And I should know exactly what to say. I've been through this. I should know what to text you right now. I should know what to say when I call you, but I often don't. And it's like, I, there's nothing that I can say right now that's going to make this go away or going to make it any better. And I think that's often where we can get tripped up is like, I want to say the right thing that's going to like make, make you feel better or take this away for you. But everybody who has gone through it themselves, I mean, we know there's nothing anybody can say to take this away. Like this is our burden to bear, but an acknowledgement goes like such a long, such a long way. Yeah. Um, and there just, there is no right thing. And I have a friend who actually just recently went through a double mastectomy. It's one of my best friends from when we've known each other since we were five and seven and her diagnosis was almost as hard on me as my last one was because it's like, Oh, like what? It's almost harder to watch somebody else that you're um, you care so much about going through it. I have, um, a family member, unfortunately, who's really going through the worst of stage four ovarian cancer right now. And it's, um, sometimes it's, you don't know what you want to be there because you understand in a way that other people don't, but it's still really hard to know what to say. Cause you know, that nothing can really, there is no right thing to say and nothing can take it away. You just have to be there and let them know that you like see and hear them and understand. And I think sometimes it's harder to watch someone else go through it because you, you, it brings up all of your, and you feel the pain almost for them. Yeah. And you know, it's funny that you say that because my mom has said that before she's a breast cancer survivor, but she says like watching you go through it is like harder than having to deal with it on my own. And I can't actually imagine having like my mom went through breast cancer before my diagnosis, but now with the understanding that I have, I just can't imagine what it would be like to watch somebody else go through it mm-hmm. because there is a powerlessness, um, in it. And at least whenever you're going through it, you, you have control over your attitude, even if you have control over nothing else. And I know that sounds maybe a little trite too, but, um, being on the outside, it's like, just relinquishing all control and power of being able to intervene in any way. And so um, I think we know that too, whenever we're going through it. And again, like just, it seems like an acknowledgement of the difficulty is so like, what is that going to do? But it actually does so much, I think, just for the morale and the attitude of the person going through it. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, <laughs> I obviously would never wish anyone else like in my family and friend circle to have it, but because I've been through it, I'm grateful that they have someone else that they know who's been through it because it's just, there is that connection and understanding. And I think it, it's helpful when there is, it's hard to articulate or put into words, but, um, I felt very alone when I was going through it. 
And so hopefully I can provide a little bit of comfort is just having somebody in their life that does have that understanding. A hundred percent. I mean, obviously it's my mom, but mm-hmm. my mom had been through chemo before too. And so my first um, infusion that I had, they gave me anti-nausea meds, but honestly, I was like, I, they're putting too much medication in my body. Why use this one? I was like, let me see if I can handle it without anti-nausea meds, like a dummy. Okay. And I was so sick, sick to the point that I, I've never been that sick in my life. I've never felt that terrible in my life. And I thought like, this is the end, like, I'm not going to make it through this. And the only person that I could call was my mom primarily. I mean, of course she's my mom, but also because she's the only person that I knew who had been through chemo before too. And she came over and she spent the night with me that night and held my hair while I threw up and took care of me and all of that. But she was the only person who was able to speak into like, Ashley, this is temporary. Like you will get over this. You're taking the nausea meds next time. And just being able to share her experience with me and in times where you can't see out of your current situation. Those people are like lighthouses. Mm-hmm. They show you the way of like, there is a way out of this. Like you will get through this. This is temporary. And just reminding you of that and being that actual tangible visual of like, you know what, there is an end. Like we can overcome, we can get through this. What advice would you give to someone who's just been diagnosed? Oh, that's a another question. loaded question. <laughs> yeah, that's a loaded question too. Um, first, I would say it is not your responsibility to manage other people's emotions. Other people will have all sorts of thoughts and feelings and opinions about your diagnosis. They'll probably have thoughts, feelings, and opinions about the treatment that you choose. Um, there will probably be some people that you think like, well, I have to tell them this way or else they might get upset if they find out this way or, you know, all of these mental gymnastics that we kind of play with ourselves and our relationships. And I think um, really taking the pressure off of having to manage other people's emotions relieves a significant amount of stress during that time. It will be challenging. It will be really, really hard, whatever your situation is that you're going through. And the people who are there to support you, allow them to support you, allow yourself to be in a position of receiving, even if it feels uncomfortable, receive whatever they have to give. Like I was joking with, I actually have a client who was recently diagnosed and I was joking with her because we were joking about how much stress we get from um, people loading the dishwasher differently than we do. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't move. So Angela would come over and he'd load the dishwasher and he just does it differently than I do. And there were times where I was like, oh my gosh, those dishes aren't going to get clean, you know, but it's like, you just got to take a breath and be like, just allow people to help you in the way that they're offering help. Because, you know, he did it a different way than I did, but the dishes are clean. That's great relationship advice too. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, my mom came over and she helped me fold some laundry the other day. She folds laundry differently than me, but whatever, you know, it's okay. Like those things, do your best to let them go during this time and uh, allow yourself to receive things in the way that people are giving them to you. But also know that it's your responsibility to manage yourself right now. And it's, it relieves a lot of stress to, um, 
not have to manage other people's emotions and to take that pressure off. So those would be the two main things. Thank you so much for coming on and just sharing and Thank you for sharing on Instagram and being there when I needed you six and a half years ago. Your story and the way that you tell it is so incredible. Where can people find you if they want to see more? They can find me on Instagram. My handle is chemo underscore diaries. Um, and that's the main place. That's where I post most things. So that's what I would say. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for having me. I love any opportunity to be able to talk to someone who can relate to these experiences and who understand what it's like to go through something so daunting and in both of our cases unfortunately so chronic um and the stress and the trauma and the responses that come with that so thank you for allowing me to share I appreciate you so much both for coming on and being a friend and just being so open and vulnerable. So I can't thank you enough for doing this for me today. One of the things Ashley and I talked about in this episode is feeling like a burden and isolating because of it. Since we recorded this episode, I had a person I used to be really close to take their own life. I never even knew they struggled with depression, and I can only imagine how much pain they were in to think that that was their only option. If you are thinking about suicide, are worried about a loved one or a friend, or would like emotional support yourself, the Lifeline Network is available 24-7 across the United States. The Lifeline is available for everyone, is free, and is confidential. You can reach the Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Please don't be afraid to ask for help. You are loved and you are needed. Until next time, thank you so much for being here. I'm grateful for each and every one of you.